This evening we are looking at uh, the second and the third of the I am statements. The second one, I am the light of the world. And the third one, I am the door or I am the gate to the sheepfold. The first one found in John chapter 8 and verse 12, where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The story is told of a blind man who was sitting at the corner of a street with a lantern beside him. And someone went up to him and asked what a blind man was doing with a lantern. And the blind man said, I have it so that no one will fall on me. Now light is important, isn't it? For the blind man, it was going to prevent someone from falling on top of him. And how often, maybe when you are small or even when you have grown up, you want a night lamp you know, in your room because you don't want things to be totally dark because if in case you get up in the night you don't want to trip over something. Light is important, isn't it? That's why Jesus in his second statement speaks about I am the light of this world. Now when he's speaking about these I am statements, last time we looked at the importance of these I am statements where he is qualifying or saying that these statements are being linked up to who he really is. In other words, he is speaking about his deity. He is not just saying, I am a light in, in this world, you know, that if you follow me, this light, you will go here. If you follow this light, you will go there. No, no. He is not speaking about he being a light. He is speaking about him being the light. He is the source, if you were to say. That's the understanding of this statement, I am the light of this world. He is the source of light. He is light himself. <laughs> there are two types of light in this world. We can see one or both or neither. Okay? You have the physical and you have the spiritual. When we are born into this world with our physical eyes, we can see physical light. And because of that, we see God's creation. But also when we are born again, we get spiritual insight so that we can see the things of God. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He's not speaking about physical light and darkness. He's speaking about spiritual light and darkness. When we take a candle into a room, you know, it dispels the darkness. So similarly, Jesus is saying, if we follow after him, then the darkness of sin would be removed. The darkness of sin would be removed. And that's a simple thing that you have to do, isn't it? If you have to take out darkness, you don't try to shoo the darkness out. You just switch on the light. And when you switch on the light, then the darkness automatically is removed. That's what Jesus is saying here. He says, if you are following me, you won't walk in darkness. So if you're walking in darkness, the question is whether the light is there. That's what John in his epistle will say now about walking in the light as he is in the light. So if you are following the light of this world, then there should be no darkness in our lives. Now if you look at a densely in a, a, a dense forest area, when a, a forest full of trees you know, with thick foliage all around high above, if you look at the ground, you'll find that there's not much of vegetation. Maybe you'll just have maybe a little moss here and there, a little few grass here and there. Why is it so? Because plants will never move away from the light. 
they will always be moved towards the light. That's why even if you have house plants, they will tell you, hey, some plants require the light. Some plants don't require so much of light, it can kill them. Plants require light to grow. If there is darkness all around, then it is not good. That is also people will say, you need vitamin D in your body, you know, apart from your taking your tablets for it, sun is the best thing. You know, people who are only at home, who do not have much of exposure to the sun, they may be definitely vitamin D deficient. Sun, light. Light is important for us because it has so many properties, if you were to say. <clears throat> so just as much as physical light is important for our physical lives, spiritual light is definitely important for our spiritual lives. And just as much as a plant looks towards the sun and then as a result grows, the believer would also, if we say you're a believer, you should be leaning towards spiritual things. And leaning towards spiritual things would be you desire fellowship, you desire your time with the Lord, you know, you desire the things of God. If there's no desire, the question is whether the light is really living in us. Whereas on the other hand, the unbeliever does the opposite. He does not want to come close to the light. Why? Because the light will expose the darkness. So darkness hates the light, whereas light longs for the light. Our spiritual life, people who have that light, long to come closer to God. So this is why the whole understanding of light is important. That's why Jesus says, I am the light of this world. <coughs> now in Jesus' time, if there was no electricity and all, when it got dark, it got dark. Maybe when you're growing up, if you went to you know, villages which didn't have any electricity, when it became dark, they all went to sleep. Maybe very early and you would wonder, hey, in our city we still we used to sleep and uh, stay up so late. Why? Because there was light. You could put on a switch and you know, have the light in your room. But in rural areas where there is no electricity, people live according to the time clock of nature. They get up early in the morning, you know, when the sun just rises or even it, when it's dawn. Because that is the understanding. When there is darkness, you can't do anything. When there is light, life comes in. Now, it is also interesting that Jesus made this statement when it was the Feast of Tabernacles. And this was a big feast because they celebrated, they are coming out of Egypt. And during this feast, they used to light a huge, uh, uh, if you were to say, a you know, big uh, uh, firewood or a flame, which would give light to the entire city. A city on a hill, if you suddenly see light coming up from there, it lights up that whole area. So Jesus is speaking about, I am the light of this world, during this festival, and the Bible says he lifted up his voice and said with a loud voice, I am the light of this world. So the people saw this light, okay, and the people heard Jesus saying, I am the light of this world. And definitely some of them may have clicked. Some didn't understand at all. Those people whose eyes were open to this truth, were upset, were angry, because when Jesus said, I am the light of this world, they immediately looked back into the Old Testament times when they were brought out of Egypt, they had the 
fire, pillar of fire that was you know, with them. That was a symbol of God's presence. And that is what they were celebrating at this Feast of Booths. They were celebrating God's presence with them as they were brought out of Egypt. And now Jesus is coming along and saying, Hey, you're thinking about that light. I am the light of this world. Jesus was definitely referring to his deity. And that is why they were definitely upset. Remember that in Genesis chapter 1 itself, you know, when the Spirit of God was moving upon the face of the waters, there was light and darkness. The Lord said, let there be light. And there was a separation of the light from the darkness. And 2000 years later, here in the New Testament, we find Jesus coming down, being the light of this world, separating the darkness so that light, spiritual light can come into our life. So let's look at this passage in its context, in its meaning, in its understanding of light. First of all, as I mentioned to you, this immediate context is the Feast of the Tabernacles. <laughs> okay? You find in Luke chap in Leviticus chapter 23, verses 42 and 43, it says, Now the Jews' Feast of Tabernacles, uh, now this feast was called the sojourn of the Israelites in the wilderness. Verse 42 says, You shall dwell in booths for seven days, all that are native in Israel shall dwell in booths, that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So this was a, an, a symbolic festival remembering what God did for them by bringing them out of Egypt. So light played a very crucial role in this feast, remembering the pillar of fire which gave the Israelites light at night. A Jewish source puts this whole celebration of light in this festival like this. It writes, it says, Towards the end of the first day of the Feast of Tabernacles, people went down into the court of the woman where precautions had been taken to separate the men and the woman. Golden lamps were there and four golden bowls were on each of them and four ladders were by each. Four young men from the priestly group of youths with oil in their hands containing about 120 logs poured oil from them into the individual bowls. Wicks were made from the discarded trousers of the priests and from their girdles. There was no court in Jerusalem that was not as bright from the light of the place of drawing water. And men of piety, known for their good works, danced before with torches in their hands and sang before them with songs of praise. And the light produced during the Feast of Tabernacles was supposed to have been absolutely brilliant. So, they saw this, the people also recognized, you know, that here was Jesus claiming to be the Messiah by saying, I am the light of the world. So in verse 13, they said, hey, you are bearing witness to yourself. Your testimony is not true <coughs> because the Messiah was associated with light. In Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 2, we read, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. <coughs> Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shined. So there was references in the Old Testament about how the Messiah is the light. And here Jesus, during this feast, where specifically they were thinking about God being the light, 
Jesus comes along and says, I am the light of this world. That definitely would have you know, sort of upset them on one side and also would have said, hey, you know, what is Jesus talking about? Also, each morning during this eight-day feast, the priests in procession went to the pool of Siloam, drew water in golden pitchers, and upon returning to the temple, they poured the water on the altar of sacrifice, and the people accompanying the priests sang and chanted the Hallel, which is the songs in Psalms 113 to 118. The Psalms which say, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. It was a reminder of what God had done for them. Psalm 114 verses 7 and 8 says, Tremble, O earth, before the Lord, before the God of Jacob, who turned the rock into a pool of water, the flint into a fountain of water. So these are all symbolic things that they were doing. They were taking water from the wells, taking it up to the temple, and as they went to Anna, they climbed up those steps, they sang these songs of praise, and then they went and lit that huge lamp. All this was speaking about what Jesus had done for them. And Jesus picks up the same thoughts when they're taking the water jug and going up. In John chapter 7, verses 37 and 38, it says, Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture says, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. So here's this festival. Jesus at the first time in chapter 7 speaks about how he is the living water, if you were to say, because they were you know, pouring water as a symbol of how God brought them out of captivity through the Red Sea. And now Jesus is saying, hey, I am the light of this world. He takes both these things that were used in the Old Testament of symbols of how God was with them and saying, hey, I'm there with you. This is Emmanuel, God himself, who is present with you. And that would definitely have upset them. They would definitely have remembered Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, have seen a great light. <coughs> so, in the opening section of this chapter, we see the light of this world coming before the Pharisees, because if you notice, last time we said each of these statements is uh, linked up with an incident that happened. So the broader incident is the Feast of the Boots. The specific incident is when they brought a woman who was caught in adultery. That's what we find in the beginning of chapter 8. And when they have brought this woman in the beginning of chapter 8 and said, here is this woman who was caught in adultery. What does Jesus do? He shines his light upon them. And he says, hey, if any of you is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And he begins to write on the ground. And one by one, one by one, they all leave away. So that is the understanding. When he comes in, the light comes in, the darkness has to flee. They thought they were the righteous people. They thought they had the light in them. But when Jesus, the light has come, darkness has to flee. So this was that immediate understanding of the context of this particular statement. Now moving further, the biblical context, the biblical context is speaking about how light exposes, light makes things evident, light makes things clear. That's the word meaning of the Greek word phos. 
Pause means to you know, open up, to make it clear, to make, expose it very clearly. So Jesus, when it says he's the light of this world, he is the one who you know, brings things clear to us. We speak about the, when Jesus came into this world, he's the visible manifestation of the invisible God. The unseen God has been revealed to us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's what light is. We don't see God, we have not seen God, but we have seen Jesus, who is the visible manifestation of God. Darkness is the absence of spiritual things or the ignorance of divine things. Ignorance in a, due to in a darkness due to the want of light. That's the Greek word, by the way, for darkness is kotia, which means darkness due to the want of light or ignorance of divine things. <clears throat> now in Genesis 1-4 it says God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. So this light and darkness understanding, you know, Jesus comes in and says he's the one who exposes, brings to light what is there in the heart of an individual, whether the person is walking in the light or whether the person is walking in the darkness. He is the divider, just as much as in Genesis he separated light from the darkness, just as much as there will be a separation of the you know, uh, weed and the wheat, you know, just as much as there is going to be a separation of the sheep and the goats, here is the light dispelling darkness. Moving further, understanding the light metaphor in John's Gospel. Light is one of the most important themes in John's Gospel. <laughs> okay? Light is one of the most important themes in John's Gospel. Remember, darkness cannot drive out darkness. You know? It is only light that can do that. So, when you look at the light metaphor in John's Gospel, we find a lot of verses. Let me just share a couple of verses with you which speaks about it. Because remember, the whole purpose of John's Gospel is so that we may know who Jesus is. And he brings across this light metaphor right throughout his Gospel. In John chapter 1 and verse 4 and 5, he says, In him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. Now, and also in John chapter 3, verses 19 to 21, it says, This is the judgment that light has come into this world, and the people love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light, and do not come to the light, so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done by God. John chapter 9 verses 4 and 5, We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night or darkness is coming where no one can work. John chapter 12 and verse 46, I have come as light into this world so that everyone who believes in me should not remain in darkness. And light analogy, John chapter 13 and verse 30, So after receiving the piece of bread, Judas immediately went out. And there is one short sentence over there, and it was night, and it was night. 
where there is sin there is darkness where there is rebellion there is darkness you know and that's the whole thought that john puts it across it's a good study to go through the whole you know gospel and look at light and darkness maybe note it down or underline it and see how john is trying to get these uh, dualisms in his book light and darkness flesh and spirit and so on let's move further look at the functions of the light jesus came as light to this morally spiritually dark world light shows a way shows a way out of the darkness you use a flashlight to show the way you use a candle if you don't have electricity to be your guide light serves as a guide it points the way one should go it also dispels the darkness and exposes the true reality of things the lord guided his people in the wilderness by the cloud and the pillar of fire when the cloud moved the people moved when it stayed they stayed so jesus is the one who gives us guidance so when you speak about jesus being the light he is the one who guides us we are living in a world which is morally in you know, a corrupt or morally deficient or morally in you know, a gone astray they don't have any guidance each one does what is right in his own eyes the light is the one that gives us guidance when you don't know what to do is this okay is this okay the light gives us guidance you <coughs> know john chapter 12 and verse 46 jesus said i have come as light into this world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness so god has shown his light into our hearts so that you know we are not left in darkness it's not that you know we don't know what to do the people of this world can get frustrated with what is happening in the world and saying hey we don't know what to do but you open the scriptures god gives us guidance you know to know what we need to do what is happening in this world god throws his light into what's happening in our lives god throws his light into what's happening in this world he gives us insight into the future of his plans and purposes for our lives and for the world the light gives guidance secondly the light reveals truth and it reveals truth about ourselves truth about ourselves when the bible speaks about the word is a light to my feet the world is also like a mirror it shows us our true state you know in the darkness you can't see the mirror to see your true state you put on the light you can see yourself in the mirror so when you are walking in the light you read the word of god god shows us our true state we may think that everything is fine with ourselves you know but when we expose ourselves to god's word things become so much more clearer not about somebody else's sin but about our own sin it's like maybe if you are reading during the late evening and you are reading a book or reading your pad or whatever and then it's getting darker and darker you don't notice it but you continue to read and suddenly you know maybe someone else switches on the light or you yourself switches on the li- switch on the light and then you find everything becomes so much more clearer that's what god's word does for us it illuminates different areas of our lives that we thought were okay maybe but you know as we expose ourselves to god's word as we expose ourselves to the light of who he is things become so much more clearer that's why you know paul writing in romans chapter 7 and verse 24 would say wretched man that i am who will deliver me from the body of death the more we come closer to the light 
the more darkness is revealed. If a person says everything is fine with me, all is hunky-dory, it's a question whether how closely he's walking with the Lord. Because the more we come closer to the Lord, more dirt becomes visible. If we thought, oh, we were super spiritual people, you know, we come closer to the light, more sin becomes visible. And we would be able to say also equally with Paul, wretched man that I am. Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? It's easy for us to cover up our sin and see the sin of somebody else. But as we expose ourselves to the light of God's word, it becomes so much more clearer to us. Thirdly, light saves us from danger. Light saves us from <laughs> danger. The light is our protection. God in the wilderness protected Israel with a cloud covering. The wilderness of Sinai is one of the most inhospitable places on earth where daytime temperatures can reach very, very high and can go to freezing in the night. God provided them the shelter. So when you're speaking about the light, it's a question of he being our protector. He being our protector. Or equally, when you're walking in the darkness, you shine the light, you know, you know, you can spot, you know, a wild animal or you can spot a snake that is on the ground or you can spot an spot a obstacle that is on the ground. Light helps for protection. And that's what God is saying here. If we allow ourselves to be you know, under the, sh the shining light of God as we study his word, God shows us the areas that we should not go because we know there's a way that seems right to a man but the end thereof are the ways of death. So God's call to us is, hey, look, I am the light of this world, so you also walk in the light. You walk in the light. What is it to walk in the light? Number one, we follow the light of the Lord Jesus when we commit ourselves to him as our only Lord and Savior. To follow Jesus must is to believe and to trust him. Like the children of Israel followed the light in the wilderness, we must also follow Jesus Christ. Where he leads me, I will follow. But unless you know where he's leading you and he is your leader, how would you know where you have to follow? So to follow Jesus, first of all, means to accept him as your leader. To say, Lord, you are my guide, you are my leader, you are my protector, and I'm going to follow after you. Do what you are telling me to do. That is what walking in the light is all about. Not doing what I want to do, but walking the way you want me to walk. Secondly, believers are reflected light. You know, we are reflected light. Jesus said, I am the light of this world. Jesus also said, you are the light of this world. In the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Just as much on this day in a, in a feast of boots, they set up this light on the mountain, the whole area could see. The Lord says, hey, you are the light of this world. We are reflections. We are not that light, but we are reflections. Our light is his light. A reflection of his light working in and through us. Okay? That is what God wants us to do. Three practical things that we can do to be a light. First of all, connect to the source.
this is from today's electricity understanding, you know, you have everything connected, but if you don't put on the switch, you know, light is not going to come. You may have a switch, but if the connections are not there to that light source, you know, even though you put on the switch, light would not come. So there has to be a connection to the source. When Jesus says, I am the light of this world, Jesus is saying, I am the source of light. You want light in your life so that you don't have to walk in darkness, connect to me. If there's no connection, there will be no light in our lives. Secondly, we must live in the light. It is one thing to connect to the source, it is another thing to live in the light. Unfortunately, a lot of people say, I've made the connection, but they're not living in the light. Now, their fuse has gone off maybe, or now it is, you know, it is becoming dimmer. They're not living in the light. We must make sure that our lamps are burning bright we must make sure that the light connection is constantly on. And how do we do that? By shining the light, by shining the light. Remember, we are reflectors of the light. We ourselves don't have any inner light or life in us. It is Christ's light and life in us. Remember, the moon doesn't produce any light on its own. Rather, it reflects the light of the sun. Similarly, we cannot produce light on our own. We are reflectors of the light of this world and that's what Jesus is calling us to do be his light bearers to this world so when Jesus says I am the light of this world he says I am the source I'm not just one of the lights I am the source I am the light there's no other light if you want to dispel darkness allow the light to come in be reflectors of his light to this dark generation so that the world who is walking in darkness wants to know who is the light how can I dispel darkness? As Jesus comes into their lives, as we share Jesus with them, darkness in their lives would also be dispelled. The third statement that Jesus makes is, I am the door of the sheepfold, sheep pen, and you find this in John chapter 10 and verse 10, John chapter 10 and verse uh, 9 rather. I am the gate, whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. Now the context of John chapter 10, let's read the you know, verses 1 to 10. Jesus says, Verily, truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter into the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is a shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they would run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Now remember, this is all chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 9. Now this is chapter 10. He spoke in chapter 8 about how Jesus you know, is indeed the light of this world during that whole you know, festive celebration. They have not understood that. Now, he is speaking about he is the gate so that they would understand what he is talking about. Therefore, Jesus said again, verse 7, Verily, truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and life to the full. 
And I'm sure none of us have looked after sheep, you know, and we don't know, you know, what is a sheep pen. We don't know the background. So let me explain this from that culture first, so that we understand what Jesus is saying when he says, I am the gate of the sheep pen. You know, what is the sheep pen? A sheep pen is a very simple structure with a very simple purpose to keep the sheep safe at night. A sheep pen has no roof, only four walls and a gate. Okay? And you could make the four walls from a variety of materials. You can make it with stone, you can make it with brick, you can make it with mud or you can make it with uh, now wood. But the important thing is, you know, there is only one entrance. There is only one entrance. And oftentimes the, the shepherd, you know, or the night watchman or the night shepherd, you know, would be in that position of the gate. Okay. He is the one who became the gate. You know, there was no physical door, if you were to say, you know, he became the gate. Now, he was the one who was used to maybe sleep at the gate or sit at the gate. So, if in case the sheep wanted to jump out of that sheep pen, hey, the shepherd was there. You had to jump over him first, you know, and he's awake, so he's not going to allow that. Or if an enemy were to come in, you know, while animal were to come in, you know, he's there at the gate, he has to first catch, cross over him. So, that is the understanding of Jesus when he says, I am the door of the sheep pen. He is the one who is looking after the sheep. He is the one through whom <coughs> you have to enter in and once you are in, he is the one who looks after you. <laughs> okay. So in verse 3 when he says the watchman opens the gate for him, you know, this could be an individual who maybe was in a, uh, one who was looking after the day. So when the shepherd for the night comes in, he says, okay, now you can be here. It's your job now to protect the sheep. <laughs> okay. Then in verse 4, it says, when the shepherd has brought out all his own sheep, he goes on ahead of them and the sheep follow him. This again, maybe in the morning when the shepherd takes out, you know, he's the one who goes before. Now, today maybe when you look at on the roads, you'll find another shepherd right at the end. You know? But no, in those days, it was the shepherd leading the way. Okay? He goes before them and the sheep follow him. That is important. Jesus is our leader. The shepherd does not move on until he has brought them all out. You know? That's the assurance that God gives us, isn't it? You know? You know, those whom God has called, he will save. You know? those whom he has chosen. He is the one who leads us and we follow after him. He knows them by name. He knows their number. He does not leave anyone behind. He waits until he has all his sheep out and then he goes on ahead of them. This is the Eastern method of shepherding. And there's a beautiful picture of discipleship, isn't it? That the shepherd goes ahead. And wherever the sheep go, the shepherd has already stepped first. He goes ahead, not simply to point the way, but also to make sure that the way is steady and safe. The Spirit of God has gone before. God goes before us so that he leads the way. He prepares the way. So if you are afraid of the future, be assured the shepherd has gone before. You know, he knows what's going to happen. He's already prepared. You know. So we don't have to be afraid. We only have to make sure that we are following the shepherd. Now, 
what prompted this uh, illustration? When you look back at John chapter 9, we find in John chapter 9, you know, the incident of a man who was healed, who was born blind. Okay? Now, Jesus has said in John chapter 8 that he is the light of this world. You know? Now, they should have understood by that that, hey, Jesus is the Messiah. But these guys are still close. They are not willing to accept, even though maybe they may have got some clues. In John chapter 9, Jesus heals this man who has been born blind. And this is an amazing miracle. And you know, everyone should have understood, hey, indeed, Jesus is the Christ who has been sent from God. Because nobody can just give sight to the blind. But the Pharisees didn't want to have anything to do with it. They were unable to deny the miracle, but they still refused to acknowledge that Jesus had come from God. So instead of rejoicing with the blind man who could now see, they actually throw the man, threw the man out of the synagogue. And in this scenario, you know, Jesus comes along and says, hey, all you guys who have come before me, you're thieves and robbers. I've come to give life. Here's a man who was born blind, I've given him life. And you guys, you have been thieves and robbers. You have come only to kill and steal and to destroy. Now that was very, very specific against the Pharisees of that time. You know? And I wonder if we were there, we could see their faces or their reactions of how they would have responded to this direct hit at them. So the immediate thing over here is, you know, looking at the sequence of events, you know, you find Jesus has said that he is the light of this world, you know, and this has been an open declaration in the midst of large crowd of people who have come for a celebration. They have not understood it. Or maybe they have kept it hidden because they don't want to accept and acknowledge that Jesus is the Messiah. John chapter 9, he actually heals a blind man. <laughs> that should have given them sub-assurance. But instead of responding positively, they respond so negatively and they throw this guy out of the synagogue. <clears throat> this is why, if you notice, Jesus says you know, this illustration about I am the gate. I am the gate. Okay. What's the meaning of this illustration? <laughs> First of all, true spiritual leadership comes through Jesus alone. Comes through Jesus alone. These Pharisees thought that they were the leaders. Jesus says, hey, look, you're not responding to God. God himself has come down. He's explained to you who he is, but he's still not willing to accept. So you are not the leader. You're not the true spiritual leader. Those who have come out before me have been thieves and robbers. They have not given you life, they have only given you death. Anyone who tries to lead God's people apart from Christ is a thief and a robber. The Pharisees refused to acknowledge that Jesus came from God. Therefore, they had no legitimate spiritual leadership in the people's lives. So, by this Jesus was clearly telling the Pharisees, Hey guys, you are wrong. I am actually the gate. You thought that I was not the Messiah, but no, you are wrong. I am the door. I am the gate for the sheep and nobody can have spiritual life apart from me. Now notice also Jesus said, those who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. <laughs> okay. Now if you look at John chapter 9, we find that the blind man did not listen to the religious leaders. 
Remember the Pharisees came and they said, hey, give glory to God and you know, who gave you sight and all that. He says, I do not know. And then when he finds out later, you know, they were even more upset with him when he begins to tell them, you know, who actually gave sight to him. So when the leader said, hey, don't talk about this anymore, you know, he did not listen to them. He did not listen to them. You know, those who are not of God's sheepfold, okay. You know, they are the ones who will respond to the other side. But those who are belonging to God's sheepfold, they don't listen to the devil. They don't listen to the opposition. It says, but the sheep did not listen to them. The sheep only listens, responds to who Jesus is, responds to him being the shepherd. If you notice in John chapter 9 and verse 30 to 38, you know, it's an interesting conversation where the Pharisees said, you know, they didn't know where Jesus came from. And the blind man responded and said, hey, that's remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. You know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And to this they replied, hey, you were steeped in sin at birth, how dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. And Jesus, when he heard that, he had thrown them out. When he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? You know, the man asked, tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking to you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. The blind man didn't listen to the Pharisees, rather he listened to the voice of the shepherd. True leadership, okay, true shepherd and the sheep. The sheep respond to the true shepherd. Now we may have this question, you know, in the last days Jesus said, many shall come to me and said, I did this and I did that. And there are so many who are following after them, okay. Genuine sheep follow the genuine shepherd and that's why we need to be careful today. Secondly. Salvation comes through Jesus alone, Jesus alone. Just as much as there is no, only one way into the sheep pen, there is only one way into the kingdom of God. In verse 9, Jesus says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Whoever enters through me will be saved. When Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, there is only one way, there is only one gate. The sheep pen doesn't have many gates. The sheep pen has only one gate. So when Jesus says, I'm the gate, he's basically saying, I am the only way. I'm the source of light and I'm also the only way to enter and be saved. Thirdly, full abundant life comes through Jesus alone. Full abundant life comes through Jesus alone. In verse 10, he says, he will come in and out and find pasture. Who will come in and out and find pasture. Now, this is not speaking about a person being saved and going out, backsliding and coming back again. No, no, no. That's not the understanding. The coming in and out, you know, refers to the safety that the sheep experience as they enter the sheep, enter into the sheep pen for the night. And the next morning, they are able to go out for nourishment. So this coming in and out is actually symbolic of you know, security and provision that is provided. Now, who is the thief? Definitely we will say the thief is Satan. You know. Yes, he is definitely Satan, but anything or anyone that seeks to pull us away from Jesus as the gateway to salvation and life is a thief. 
Remember the thief is the one who does not enter through the gate but through some other means. Anybody who says, hey, Jesus is one of the ways. He is not the only way. He may say he's a Christian, but he's a thief. Because the Bible very clearly says that Jesus is the only way. The thief steals, kills and destroys. You remember, these words are very progressive. First he steals, you know, your life that belongs to God. God created you, he sustains you, he loves you, he longs to give you abundant life, life to the full, but he steals that life. Then he says the thief kills, the word translated kill here carries the meaning of killing for food. In other words, there is a selfish motive applied to the thief, he kills for his own benefit. He knows that a person who has responded to Christ is you know, going to heaven, he has lost one of his members and as a result he kills so that you know, his food is got. You know. He doesn't want anyone to leave his kingdom. The thief destroys all that is beautiful, all that is good, all that is in harmony with God. The thief takes and kills and destroys that which is good. He makes it evil and destroys it. Now the word only you know, in verse 10 is important. The thief comes only to steal, kill and destroy. That is his purpose. That is his purpose. So anything. Yes, Satan is the one who is the you know, originator of all this. But anything that takes us away you know, to steal us from the life that God wants to give to us. To kill the spiritual excitement in our lives and to destroy spiritual vitality. The thief does that. That's his only purpose. But on the other hand, Jesus says he came, he has come so that he would give us life, life in all its abundance, life in all its abundance. So this evening ask yourself, you know, when Jesus says, I am the gate, have you found that, you know, that he is the only way? Have you listened to other thieves and robbers who are offering so many different, different things, shortcut methods so that he can have life? Hey, all those are thieves. And Jesus called the Pharisees. They were individuals who were the top, uh, you know, the cream of religious society. He says he called them those thieves because they were taking people away from genuine spiritual relationships. So anything, even in today's world, it may seem very Christian, you know, false teachers of today, but anything that takes you away from true spiritual living, Jesus says, be careful. So summing up these thoughts about you know, Jesus being the door, let me put the, all these things together. Number one, Jesus is the only door of the sheep, the only door of the sheep. Remember, we said that he is the one who lies, you know, lays down at the gate. G. Campbell Morgan tells of a conversation he had with Sir George Adam Smith, a scholar who had spent much time in the Near East. Smith told of meeting a shepherd there who showed him the fold where the sheep were led at night. It consisted of four walls and a way in. And Smith asked, that is where you go at night? Yes, the shepherd said. And when the sheep are in there, they are perfectly safe. But there is no door, said Smith. I am the door. The shepherd replied. He was not a Christian man, but rather an Arab shepherd. But he was using the same language that Jesus used. He explained further and he said, when the light is gone and all the sheep are inside, I lie in that open space and no sheep ever goes out but across my body. And no wolf comes in unless he crosses my body. I am the door. So that is the understanding. In that culture, you know, people would have definitely grasped. 
for us it takes a little time to understand the meaning behind I am the door, I am the gate. But this is what Jesus is really saying. Other individuals have said, I am a way. No, Jesus, I am the door, the only one, the Messiah. He is the only one who can make this claim. Just as much as there was only one door in the ark, one door in the tabernacle. So Jesus is the only door to salvation. <coughs> All others claiming to be the door are thieves and robbers. Now, Jesus obviously was not speaking about the Old Testament prophets but they were because they were pointers to Christ. But he's speaking about those people who claim to be following after him, who claim to be giving life, but they are not really giving it through this one door. All those are false. And that's what we need to be careful in these last days. The thief comes only to steal, kill and to destroy. And as he is working in our, among God's people, trying to capture, take them away. Those individuals have not made genuine commitments, thinking they are his sheep when they are not. They have not listened to the voice of the shepherd. And the thief comes along and thinks that he is, and the people think that life is being given to them. The Lord says, be careful, there's only one, one way, there's only one door, there's only one shepherd. Thirdly, as the door provides uh, as the door, Jesus provides salvation, safety and sustenance for anyone who will enter through him. Jesus provides us salvation, you know, salvation, you know. he is the door, so it's only through him that we can be saved. He provides us safety because you know, when you're speaking about you know, uh, a place that is under siege, people have to stay inside the city walls, but when there was peace, you could go in and out. It's like when there's a lockdown, you can't step out of the house. When there's a curfew, you can't step out of the house because that's in a wartime. Jesus is saying the fact that you can go in and out means it's a time of peace. It's a time of security. That's the analogy that Jesus is using when he speaks about you can go in and out. You know. Being and followers of Jesus, we have safety because we are his sheep. So when Jesus, the good shepherd, guards the flock, they are secure to go in and out and find pasture. This was a Hebrew expression also that showed a familiar access, going in and out, going in and out. It's like, you know, you're not, not knocking on the door and saying, sir, may I come in? You know, there's a relationship. You can just boldly come in and go out. That's the imagery that is used here. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 21, Peter mentions the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, you know, in and out among us. Acts chapter 9 and verse 28 mentions how after Paul's conversion, when Barnabas introduced him to the apostles and they came to trust him after that he was really converted, Paul was with them moving about freely in Jerusalem. Literally the Greek reads, you know, he was going in and out in Jerusalem. That's the understanding of this in and out. There's an openness, there's a security, you know, there's a boldness that we can come into his presence. Thirdly, Jesus provides sustenance for his sheep. When you think about the pasture, we speak about the abundant life that God gives to us because the scripture says he prepares a table before us even in the presence of our enemies. He goes with us even through the valley of the shadow of death. 
So Jesus doesn't promise an easy life where there's no trials or where you get instant deliverance from all our trials. But he says that he is there with us. He is there with us constantly. He is the one who saves us. He is the one who protects us. He is the one who is our daily sustenance. Now this is why we need to depend on Christ and Christ alone. We are living in an age which thinks that by my brains I can decide how to overcome things. And we have so many short steps methods. We have management methods, you say one, two, three, four, five, steps to salvation or steps to growth or steps to this and steps to that. Emphasizing you do all this, you'll get this. But Jesus is saying, no, I'm the door, depend on me. Don't depend on your steps, depend on me because he is the only one who can really grant us life. Jesus' blessings are for any and all who enter through him. Verse 9 says, if anyone enters through me. Remember all these I am statements are also giving an open invitation and says, come, come drink, come eat, come have life. When Jesus is saying, I am the light of this world, he says, come and walk in the light. When Jesus is saying, I am the door, he says, come in and go out, find pasture, find that security. And if we still, in spite of the Lord's invitation, refuse, <laughs> then we are giving in to the darkness. We are giving in to the evil one. Remember, Jesus' purpose for his sheep is radically opposed to the purposes of false shepherds. The false shepherds destroy and, and uh, produce death, whereas Jesus, the genuine door, the genuine shepherd, looks after his sheep. He is the one who gives us abundant life. He is the one who gives us abundant life. <coughs> the story is told of how the Eskimos have an interesting way of killing wolves. They take a sharp knife, dip it in seal fat and plant it uh, blade up in the snow. A hungry wolf will smell the seal fat which he loves, finds the knife, begins to lick it. And as soon as he licks it, he tastes the blood, his own blood. But he loves the taste of blood, so he licks more and more until he finally kills himself. What he thought at first was really living was actually killing him. And that's what the thief does. The thief offers something saying, hey, this is what life is all about. But actually his intention is only to steal, kill, and to destroy. Our responsibilities, instead of walking in darkness, instead of listening to the thieves of this world, let's respond to the light. Let's respond to the door. Let's respond to the one who is willing to give us life in full abundance. And as we respond, then we can have the assurance that he is in control. <clears throat> Matthew Henry, the well-known pastor and Bible commentator, was on his deathbed in 1714 at the young age of 52. He had suffered the loss of his first wife and three children. He was relatively young. He could have complained about his early death, but he said to a friend, you have been used to take notice of the sayings of a dying man, and this is mine, that a life spent in the service of God and communion with him is the most comfortable and pleasant life that one can live in the present world. What a testimony of an individual who responded to the light, walked in the light, responded to the gate and says, Lord, you are the door. 
responded to him so that he could go in and out and fulfill the purpose for which God had created him. And even today, so many years later, Matthew Henry's commentary is one of the well-accepted devotional commentaries that people still refer to. Couple of application questions this evening. Number one, someone says, Jesus is fine for you, but I have my own beliefs. How do you respond? How do you reply to that person? Number two, how do you answer a believer in the prosperity gospel who says that if you have enough faith, you will be healthy and wealthy? Number three, do you know this life beyond measure, over and above, abundant? Do you have this abundant life or are you just marking time here on earth, just squeaking by? You know? Oftentimes when people ask the question, how is life? They say, oh, pulling on, going on. Is that how life, you know, your response to life is? Or can you say this evening, no, the life that I'm living is full of abundance because of what Jesus has done and is doing in and through my life. Let's bow our heads in prayer together.